0: I praise the Lord for our God-glorifying selection of hymns that we were able to sing this morning. The only problem was they were all from different hymn books. That's why I was following on the on the phone there. I'm certainly not anybody's modern man or technical guy, but so that's the reason. But it's a beautiful song. Perhaps it's even lifted a few spirits this morning, and I trust that as we gather around the light of God's word, that that would also speak greatly to our hearts as well, not only for our own comfort, but also that they might, people around us might see the hope that we have in God. Now, it's very easy where we are right now to be very, very conscious of milestones, today is a most significant milestone in history, today is the sort of date that who knows how many years from now some school student might have to memorise as being significant and certainly in in recent times we've had COVID described as the greatest cataclysm to come upon humanity since World War II there's been significant times recently and as I was doing some research, I did realize that it's the 100th year anniversary of a hymn that I know that all of you are familiar with, written by Helen Howarth Lemel, who wrote, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus, Look Full In his wonderful face and the things of earth shall grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace and these are things that we can (coughs) contemplate to our benefit even this morning but what also interested me is that when the hymn writer wrote these words she was contemplating Scripture And I think all good hymns should be written with scripture in mind. Isaiah 45 verse 22 was the passage and it says, Look unto me and be saved all the ends of the earth for I am God and there is none else. Once again appropriate words for this morning. I had an old pastor that that was fond of saying the Bible is more up-to-date than today than tomorrow's newspaper and I believe that the word the Lord has an appropriate word for us in our text today and we'll get into that for a moment, but Perhaps I can ask the question that even in a time where, yes, there is grief around the world and there's nothing wrong with mourning, we do read in Romans, weep with those who weep, rejoice with those who rejoice. But as we consider this great vision that Isaiah had of God, can I ask where your eyes are this morning and while you say, well, I'm looking at your big ugly face, well, I think You know that that's not what I mean. What are we focused on? How are we feeling? What is the condition of our hearts? It might be that we are feeling a measure of despair. We see three reasons there why perhaps our vision, our personal vision, might not be the way it should. Do uh, the days of unrighteousness in which we live do they discourage you? I think about the blessings that mother England as some people call it have given us and once again without being disrespectful for the great monarch that we've lost a lot of them are historical. there's no doubt that the the church's influence uh, England was at its greatest when the Church of God, was at its most influential. We saw the Wesleyan revivals that turned the world upside down. We still see, praise the Lord, a legacy in this country and in America and in other other places as a result of that time. But we also have to acknowledge that was a long, long time ago. These are unrighteous times in which we live. You might remember that every so often we as Australian citizens have to fill out a census. You know about the census? I know sometimes you you heard on the radio or anecdotally you heard about the angry dad because his daughter organised a sleepover on census night. And according to the rules, I don't know how it is now. You had to fill in the form for everyone that was under the roof at that night so poor angry dad was going to all these teenage girls and said, Tell me your name slowed out. How do you spell that? But censuses give us a little bit of a a snapshot as to the state of our nation. You might know that when you fill out the census under where it says religion, you can put a little bit a tick in a box that says no religion. This is a hypothetical question, because I don't expect you to know unless you've got Google on hand, but in 2011 how many people ticked that box? How many people living in this country declared that they had no religion? Let me answer that question, 22.3%. Let's fast forward five years. What was the same response in 2016? 30.1%. Let's go forward. Um, in time to around about 2021. 2021. What was the percentage then? 38.9 percent of Australians indicated by census that they had no religion, and you might consider that to be a little bit discouraging. But We need to realize that even though these things are new to us, they are definitely not new to God. And it might surprise you to know that these things were not new to Isaiah. We have been reading from Isaiah chapter 6, but I think it is very, very interesting to see how the book of Isaiah begins. Can we turn to Isaiah chapter 1 very quickly, please? And to give you a little bit of a snapshot, in verse 1, Isaiah introduces himself and gives, if you like, an overlook of his entire ministry. We'll get to that in a moment. I hope to expand on that. But from verse 2 to verse 23, Isaiah discusses his own nation and why they are in the position they are before God. Hear, O heavens, if in verse 2, hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth, for the Lord have spoken. I have nourished and brought up children, and they have rebelled against me. The ox knoweth his owner, and the ass his master's crib, but Israel doth not know, my people doth not consider. Our sinful nation, a people laden of iniquity, a seed of evildoers, children that are corruptors, they have forsaken the Lord. They've provoked the Holy One of Israel under anger. They've gone away backward. Now, a couple of quotes, uh, a couple of things that I'd like to say here. I'm not trying to mix Israel and the church because that's certainly, if you like, a transgression that theologians in the past have done. I'm not, not trying to do that. And secondly, it seems as though the Old Testament God has... A reputation being a bit harsh here but when we consider our own society we see that these words written about Israel could easily easily be applied to our own society verse 2 God has nourished and brought up children haven't we been blessed by living in this country don't we enjoy the freedoms that were put in place when we were a more God-honoring nation and what has happened? They have rebelled against me. The ox knows his owner. The the donkey knows his owner. But excuse the license here. Australia does not know and his people certainly do not consider. There's no recognition of God in this nation's eyes. And we can say, yes, O oh Lord, we are a sinful nation. We are a people laden of iniquity. We are corrupt, we have forsaken the Lord, we've provoked you to anger, and we this nation has definitely gone away backward. So friends, perhaps you are greatly discouraged by the world in which you live, but you should know that Isaiah has seen it before, and if Isaiah has seen it before, we can get great Courage from the fact that God has seen it all before. And this is the way the book begins, but perhaps we can say that Isaiah chapter 6 represents a change in focus as far as the prophet is concerned. Because if we go back to Isaiah chapter 6, we see Isaiah. Clap his eyes, not just his eyes of faith, but his physical eyes, on the Lord. Six seraphims, each had six wings. With twain he covered his feet. With twain he covered his with twain he covered his face, and with twain he covered his feet. And with twain he did fly. And I have a tendency to be bogged down, but it's very. The seraphim are, are very, very interesting here. There's a lot I could say even about their name. But it's very interesting that they have six wings. Two of those, of course, were for service. that With two, they can fly, and you can imagine them going around serving the Lord. But the four, other four, are for reverence. They cover their face before God. They cover their feet before God. I'm sorry, but that really spoke to me. I mean, I like to do things. I like to serve, but it seems as though I have trouble at times being reverent towards my God. The quiet times and the, pe- and the times when we should be spending much time in secret with Jesus alone, that's what we struggle with. And yet four out of the six wings of these seraphs were involved with reverence not with service I think there are some things to learn here but we do see that they are crying they are singing a song they cried unto another and said holy 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 is the lord of hosts the whole earth is full of his glory friends the situation that Israel was in even though it was most dire had absolutely zero impact on the holiness of god what we can say can we say about the holiness of god the definition of holiness is that god is separate from all that is sinful and immoral in other words even though we shake our heads at the world it does not impact the character and the integrity of god one iota But the fact is that God is not just holy. God is holy, holy, holy. And perhaps we might see the Trinity there, and I've got no problems if that's what you see. But the three-fold repetition means that God is uniquely holy. As someone who is a former English teacher I mean, I don't watch television anymore because it only upset me. But one commentator said that someone is very unique. And as an English teacher, I thought, right, that's enough of that program. You're either unique or you're not. You can't be very unique. There's no qualifications to uniqueness. And whatever you're feeling today, please gain comfort from the fact that God is unique uniquely holy. We need a vision do we not even today in days of unrighteousness of the God that is holy 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 holiness justice righteousness and truth will always prevail. Perhaps those things move more slowly at times than what we'd prefer but remember when it does it's because God's mercy is in play here it is of the Lord's mercy that we are not consumed but holiness justice justice righteousness and truth will always prevail do you have problems today is your vision of God impaired by the days of unrighteousness in which we live Or perhaps it's because of the uncertain times in which we live. And it is absolutely true that we are now on the cusp of a major change as far as this country is concerned. But once again, looking at the Lord, we do notice something very, very interesting in Isaiah chapter 6 and the fact that the Lord chooses in his wisdom to bring this vision to Isaiah in the year that King Uzziah died. Now we know nothing about this man except perhaps what you've read in scripture but let me uh, tell you a few facts about Uzziah very very quickly. It might interest you to know that even though we know about David and we know about Solomon, we don't know about this gentleman particularly, but it, it might interest you to know that he actually reigned for 52 years, which is a significant amount of time. Some commentators that I've read referred to him as the Queen Victoria of his day. But Moody... In talking about this man, did make the point that even though overall Uzziah was a righteous king in his latter days, his reign passed away to shame and disgrace. Now I want to be disrespectful of uh, respectful of your time here, but the the passage that pertains to Uzziah in scripture is actually in Second Chronicles 26, and it is very very interesting. And a a warning in a way in the fact that the Lord blessed Uzziah but his faith and confidence was in the things that the Lord allowed him to accumulate rather than his focus staying on the Lord. He was able to build his army, he was able to equip his army and the Lord blessed him so much that he was able to build catapults to protect Jerusalem. Now, I imagine catapults back then would have been like, what, the iPhone 14? What are you kids hanging out for these days? This was the cutting-edge technology of the day, but that made Uzziah feel very strong and very powerful to the point in time where he wished to make an offering to the Lord, actually go into the temple himself and bypass the priesthood that God has appointed. Of course, I trust that in my life, as in yours, there's only one man that is worthy of being prophet, priest, and king. The one that was given myrrh, frankincense, and gold by the Magi from the east. There is only one man. And Isaiah tried to pull rank. As if he brushed past the priest and said, don't you know who I am? I know exactly who I am. You are a man. And instantly God smited him physically. And that to all intents and purposes was the end of a long reign. But despite all this, perhaps there were people in Israel that were very, very anxious for the future. And so it is no coincidence that the Lord appeared and not he didn't just appear he appeared upon his throne and we might cynically say that well he's just sitting down here no he's not he's on his throne he's on his position of power he is actively ruling his people and his train and not any sort of locomotive but those that have seen the glorious weddings of royal families and the bride Sweeping through Westminster Abbey, you're familiar with what the train is. It it speaks of glory and position and wealth, and God's train filled the entire temple. And friends, even though we might be feeling a great sense of loss, and perhaps rightfully so, we need to consider the rulers of the past that acknowledge that there has no, been no such thing as a perfect ruler, a perfect king upon this earth. We know that similar to Uzziah's permission, uh, position, God re- richly blessed Solomon. And yet all the wisdom that came from on high, all the wisdom that blesses us today in the book of Proverbs did not present, uh, prevent Solomon from going and lusting after strange women that turned his heart away from the Lord. Now maybe it's just me but when Pastor Matthews actually said that uh, Queen Elizabeth was the second longest reigning monarch in history was there anyone that thought oh I wonder wonder who's number one anyone? No you're asleep at the time anyway I have an inquiry mind I'm not sure about you King Louis XIV of France, the famed Sun King of history, 72 years, 110 days. Yet it must be said through his extravagant lifestyle and his opulence, even though his nation was once great, he dragged his nation down to the point where later that same century there was a bloody revolution. Resulting in the death of King Louis XVI and many others. There is one ruler in history that got it right, and his name was King Canute. And perhaps like Solomon, perhaps like Uzziah, perhaps like Louis Fourteenth, perhaps he had reason to have confidence himself. It might interest you to know that even though we're going back to the 11th century, a long time ago now, he was king of England. At one stage he was king of Denmark at one stage he was king of Norway at one stage and because of his position he was surrounded by sycophants and sycophants is just a fancy way of saying bootlickers. I mean you get the idea all well, these people that basically made a living out of telling this king how wonderful he was and even though it's anecdotal it said that King Canute. In order to teach these people, a lesson actually arose from wherever he was seated and he approached the waves of the shoreline. And he stood on the shoreline and said, all right, you you waves, even as the tide was coming in, do not touch my royal feet. Do not touch my royal legs. Do not touch my royal robe. And you know what happened? King Canute got wet. And he knew that he was going to get wet because the point that he was making is that Christ and not man is king. Even though I did say that there has been no such thing as a perfect ruler. I only say that where we are standing now. I only say that because it is 2022 and it is not the time that the Lord Jesus Christ will come again and establish his glorious kingdom. And talking about focus and talking about heavenly vision, this is something that Isaiah saw very, very plainly in his time, that the Lord himself would descend and rule his people from Jerusalem. I don't know about you, but because I, I've been to Israel, I subscribe to what they call Shalom Ministries. And they are constantly emailing me prayer points, telling me about the, the plight of believers in Israel. And some of them can almost bring you to tears when you see the plight of Israel and the believers therein. But there will be a point in time where the children of Israel shall have peace. Not only from their enemies, but freedom from injustice, freedom, a lot of freedom from the curse, a more light, more fertility, even in that part of the world, longer lifespan. It'll all come through the reign of the Lord Jesus Christ. And when even we consider people like David, people like Solomon, we can say that some parts of their life reflect like perhaps some sort of imperfect mirror, some aspects of the glorious millennium reign of our Lord Jesus Christ, but certainly not all. Take courage, my dear friends. I told you that I was going to refer back to Isaiah 1 verse 1 and the point that I want to make there is that Isaiah does give a list of the kings that he actually served under. When we look at Isaiah and Jotham they were mainly mainly righteous kings. Isaiah had his flaws as did Jotham. Ahaz was a wicked king. Hezekiah was for the most part a very good and godly king and actually was a personal friend of Isaiah. He doesn't mention Manasseh and we have to go into tradition here but Manasseh was the most wicked king. Tradition does say that Manasseh was so wicked that he actually did martyr Isaiah. Now that is a just tradition but we do know from the Bible that Manasseh killed many. And people think that when we read in Hebrews of of, uh, those that were sawn asunder for the faith that that actually might have been a reference to Isaiah, once again, tradition. But the point that I'm trying to say is that Isaiah saw it all. Isaiah saw great kings. Isaiah saw okay kings. Isaiah saw terrible kings. And yet the light of his testimony, the light of his words, the light of his faith and the kingdom to come is still a blessing upon us today. Isaiah is the second most referenced book in the New Testament, discount Psalms. Then you have Isaiah. Isaiah knew it was going to be all right. Isaiah had a vision that God was still on the throne. How is your vision even today? I talked today about two external factors that might be obscuring our vision. Well, what about number three around uncleanliness? A wise man once said that the three enemies of the Christian. Is the world, the flesh, and the devil? But what gives us the most problems is the one in between, the flesh. And there's no doubt that the word, the holiness of God for Isaiah was very, very confronting. We know that when it is it is said of unsaved people that men love darkness rather than light because of their deeds are evil, and yet we have a generation of Christians that Seem to be the reverse Daniels. Daniel prayed and Daniel spent time with the Lord. Even though it was illegal. It's perfectly legal for the Christians. And you'll never ever catch them do it. Perhaps like brute beasts. You shy away from the word of God. There is no personal devotional time. There is no scheme. There is no plan. It's ad hoc at best. And completely and utterly neglected at worst. And the reason is, of course, our own uncleanliness. Jim Elliot, one of the great missionaries, one of the reasons why he was such a great missionary, he he did say either this book will keep you from sin or sin will keep you from this book. We can declare with Isaiah, Woe is me for I am undone. Because I'm a man of unclean lips and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. That's entirely true. What our problem is, is that we are very, very good at hand wringing, saying, oh, woe is me. And we're reluctant to put our name forward to ministries. We're reluctant to serve. We're reluctant to take on any sort of challenge because of our uncleanliness. And while it's great to be conscious of sin, the problem is, that we are always living in verse five, and we never get to verse six. Then flew one of the seraphims under me, having a live coal into his hand, which he had taken with the tongs from off the altar. Now that seems dramatic there, and all this is a physical representation of things that we can see by faith. The important thing. Is the end of verse 7, and thine iniquity is taken away, and thy sin purged. Well, that's what I need. I need a seraphim. I need a pair of tongs. I, I need a burning coal from off the altar. No, you don't. What you need is John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. What about 2 Timothy 3.16? I, I, know, I, I know what the time is. I'm going through as, uh, as quickly as we can. Can we turn to 2 Timothy as quickly as we can, please? Verse 16 and 17. Dear to my heart, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. All Scripture is profitable for us that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. we can't be perfect but we can, we can be perfectly furnished unto all good works through the word of God. Why don't we avail ourselves of that? Well, this is a, another verse that's dear to my heart in Second Timothy because it's the old Awana verse. I'm showing my old Awana with DNA here, study to show those self-approved unto God. A workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Why are we constantly going round the cycle of woe is me, woe is me. I'm a man of unclean lips. I live in a land of people of unclean lips. When we can be truly furnished through daily meetings of the Lord. If we truly see, have any idea and glimpse of the vision of Isaiah. It should amaze us and stagger us that God wants to meet with us daily. That every time we sink to our knees, he's there. That every time we open the word of God, he seeks to teach us. But he does. But we don't. It's time for you and for me to move away from Isaiah 6, verse 5. And friends, let me tell you. That everything I need to do this, everything I need to receive a cleansing from the very God himself is in my hands right here. And in your hands. And God through the precious blood, shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ is willing to meet with you and talk with you and fellowship with you whenever you sink to your knees. May we do so. And we can see very two good reasons why on the outline in view of our commission. All this is about the commissioning of Isaiah. The heading on, on in my Bible here, even though the heading's not inspired, is the commission of Isaiah. That's what it's all about. Verse 8 Who shall I send and who will go for us? Then said I, Here am I, send me. And even though. You might not be called to preach. Let's consider the New Testament for a moment and consider that we are all part of the body. And when we are born, we are not born with a little bucket of spare parts. That's not how it works. You are part of the body. And when you fail to live up to your commission, when you fail to get out of verse 5, when you fail to say, here am I, send me, I suffer as a fellow uh, member of the body. Everyone suffers as fellow members of the body, but more importantly, the testimony of the Lord suffers. We all have a part to play. And if we truly see the Lord as lift high and lifted up, as we truly see him as the one who, Where the door moves at the cry of his voice. Where the house is filled with smoke. Where there are eternal beings with four wings covering themselves saying holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. Then shouldn't we want to answer that call? Shouldn't we want to be active within the word of God? Shouldn't we want to respond positively to the commission? Your commission might be different from mine. Your commission might be different from Pastor Matthew's. But that doesn't make it any less legitimate. Will you get a clear and exciting view of your commission even today? In light of his coming. Well, I know that personally I've spoken much of the coming of the Lord Jesus. I came into this church 30 years ago and I can't help but thinking theologically I had a lot of things messed up I wasn't exactly right down the line I had to have this church teach me so sometimes I feel a little bit self-conscious when I, I get to stand up here and teach because I know that this fellowship has taught me so much and I guess collectively I can say what Can I tell you, Condal Park Bible Church, about the coming of the Lord that hasn't already been said? We read it over and over again. We know that it's real. We know that the Lord says, surely I come quickly. We read of those in 1 John that will be ashamed at his coming. We read it again. The Isaiah is full of the kingdom. We know that the kingdom is coming. We know that the Lord is coming quickly. We know all that is fact. But the point is, is it real to us? Can you truly say in all honesty you have a vision of the second coming of Christ? Because if you have a true vision of the second coming of Christ, it should appear in the way that you live your life. A pastor had to drive past an estate over and over again on his way to church. And this estate stood out because it was immaculate. The hedges were meticulously kept. There was not a spot of rubbish on any of this sprawling property. The house, as he drew near to it, out of sheer curiosity, was spotless and immaculate. He rang the doorbell and requested a tour. The man who answered the door did so gladly, and he went through room after room of spotlessness. Everything was clean. Everything was in order and and in place and the pastor said, I must compliment you on on the housekeeping of your property. The man replied, this is not my property. I'm merely just the caretaker. The owner of this house is left on business. He said that he'll be left for a long time. He's actually exceeded the span of years that he said that he would be gone. I haven't heard from him since but I know what my job is, I know what I'm supposed to do. And the pastor replied, well it's obvious by the state of affairs here that you're expecting him back very soon. To which the caretaker replied, tomorrow. I'm sure that if I asked you all and said, could the Lord come back tomorrow? I don't know how many of you would respond in the negative. But the real point is, do you have that vision? Is that something you can truly see by the eyes of faith? For it is something that you see, it will be reflected in the way you lead your life. And you will be able to say, without reservation, here am I Lord, send me. Let's, well I'll turn to my closing hymn.